Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Loya, your host, and I wish you a happy new year, a blessed new year. That's right. It is the new liturgical year in the Byzantine Catholic tradition and some other Eastern traditions as well. Actually, it, it was started September 1st. We're into it just a few days. And the very, very first feast day of the new liturgical year is that of, of course, and very appropriately, the birth of of the Mother of God, the Virgin Mary's birth, which begins the whole cycle of the redemptive action of Jesus Christ. He has to have a woman, a mother, in which to come into the world as a human. And of course, he chose this young maiden, the Virgin Mary. And so, as the whole plan of redemption unfolds with Jesus Christ, the story of Christ, it has to begin with the birth of his mother. So, she has to arrive on the scene first. The Liturgical year being September 1st in the Byzantine liturgical calendar is such that it came from what was the original calendar of the Byzantine Empire, actually, and then eventually it was adopted by the church in the East as the liturgical calendar, beginning, as we mentioned, with the coming on stage, as it were, of the Virgin Mary with her birth. Now, before we get into that, I just want to follow up on something we talked about last week. And that was the history of the relationship of the Eastern churches with the Roman Catholic Church, especially in terms of interventions, persecutions, misunderstandings. And this, of course, is all under the heading of Latinization. In other words, this is where the Roman Catholic Church did not always understand or accept the Eastern rites the Eastern churches. And this was the background for some of what's happening with the Cyril Malabar church in India right now, the great controversy there in which the Pope had to step in. He sent an envoy, Archbishop Cyril Vasso, who was from my church, the Ruthenian Byzantine Catholic Church. He sent him there to try to reconcile, make peace, and preserve and the unity and guard against any schism. This is a developing story. But the background for it is, in part, this so-called Latinization, which for the Cyril Malabar Church goes all the way back to the Portuguese that came there in the 1500s. They were, of course, Latin Rite, very Catholic, but they 
saw this ancient practice based in the Syriac tradition of the people of India, and they were practicing this rite, and the Portuguese didn't understand it. They thought there was something not quite Catholic about it, and so they through time, pressured the Sir Malabar church to take on Latinizations. This actually happened with a lot of Eastern churches. Once they came back into union with Rome, remember after the Great Schism, 1054 AD, many Eastern Catholic churches became Eastern Catholic because they were parts of the Orthodox Church that returned back into union with Rome and Rome with them, starting in like the 15th, 16th centuries. That's what my church is. It's an Eastern Catholic church. An Orthodox Church, or part of the Orthodox Churches, which were formed after the Schism of 1054 AD, parts of them that return back into Union. And when that happened, there was a great welcoming by the Roman Catholic Church, but also there was misunderstanding. It was sort of a mixed bag. And that's why it's very important that we grow to understand each other more and more so that we avoid the hurts from the past, don't repeat them, and we continue to work harmoniously together as Two lungs of the Catholic Church, as St. John Paul II would call it. Two lungs, east and west, breathing together. So just a little wrap-up of that. There's a whole lot more to that. Maybe we'll revisit it in future episodes. But I just wanted to kind of follow up on that. And now back to our liturgical calendar. The birth of the Mother of God, which is September 8th is the actual feast day. And I'm going to be referring to a wonderful source from the Byzantine Seminary Press. If you want a good source on some things, go to the Byzantine Seminary Press. That's one of the sources that we promote here on Light of the East. Many times people ask me for sources for information on the Eastern churches. Well, the source here is the Byzantine Leaflet series, Leaflet which basically that's what it is. It's like one of these, I guess they call it a French fold. In other words, it's a piece of paper folded in four, <laughs> like a fold-out that has information on it. Very, very succinct, but very, very historical, very informative. And they have a series of these on different aspects of the Byzantine church, its history, the liturgical calendar, the music, etc. In fact, I often use them as a text for adult education at my parish. We hand out the leaflet of the day, and we focus on that particular subject. So I have a leaflet here from the Byzantine Seminary Press. Again, this is in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Byzantine Seminary Press from the leaflet series called The Nativity of the Blessed Virgin Mary, according to the Byzantine Rite. And it says in our leaflet here that the Feast of the Nativity of the Blessed Virgin Mary is one of the oldest Marian solemnities, although the time of its appearance cannot be precisely determined. It was mentioned already by St. Epiphanes, St. John Chrysostom, St. Proclus of Constantinople, and so on. And these were saints from the 5th century. In other words, the 400s, early 400s, actually. So this feast day goes back a long way in the East. According to the Palestinian tradition, St. Helen, the mother of Emperor Constantine, built a basilica in Jerusalem dedicated to Mary's nativity. Now, this was in the 4th century, so 330 AD. So this is a very, very ancient feast. As happened with other Marian feasts at the beginning of the Nativity of the Blessed Virgin Mary, it was celebrated only locally and without any major solemnity. Only later, in the 6th and 7th centuries, the Marian feasts were gradually spread throughout the entire East and were celebrated with greater solemnity. At that time, St. Andrew of Crete, in the 8th century, the feast was already universally observed and celebrated like other major feasts of the Byzantine Rite. The solemn celebration of Mary's nativity spread to Rome in the 7th century, and then during the following centuries, it became diffused throughout the entire West. The celebration of Mary's nativity was established on September 8th, since on that day the Basilica, in honor of the nativity of the Blessed Virgin Mary, was dedicated in Jerusalem. Oftentimes you'll see that this was the pattern. 
feast days, observances from the life of the Virgin Mary, Jesus Christ, the saints, began in the East. Now, that's only logical because that's where everything happened, right? In the Middle East. The Holy Lands are in the East, the Middle East. So naturally, things are going to start there in the closest proximity. And then eventually, rather soon, sometime it took a little while, it would eventually move then to the Western Church, in other words, the Roman Catholic Church. So many of the observances in the Roman Catholic Church have their basis in what was earlier observances in the Eastern churches, because they were at the origin of things in the East, simple as that. Now, some things were adopted by the East from the West. For example, some aspects of the observance of Christmas. In the East, Christmas and Christ's baptism, which we call theophany, were generally celebrated as one event, but they were separated eventually, and that influence came from the practice in Rome. So sometimes uh, the Roman church influenced the Eastern churches, but generally the things started in the East and later on spread to the West. But these things were adopted early on. They're still very ancient in the West and in the East. So a little bit more about the Nativity of the Mother of God. The Feast of Nativity of Blessed Virgin Mary, celebrated on September 8th, belongs on the list of the 12 major feasts of the Byzantine Rite liturgical year. Now, we usually do not celebrate the birthday of the saints, but rather their birthday to heaven, that is, the anniversary of their death, considered as the beginning of their blessed life with God. Nevertheless, there are two exceptions. Well, actually three. And that is, we celebrate the conception and birth and death of Jesus Christ, the Virgin Mary, and St. John the Baptist, the two most holiest important people, aside from, of course, Jesus Christ, who was both God and man. And oftentimes you see these three, Jesus, his mother, and St. John the Baptist, together in a triple icon, like a triptych, and this is called the deesis. We have Jesus usually enthroned, and on either side of him is the Virgin Mary and St. John the Baptist, and they're both kind of motioning or facing him. Oftentimes, this icon is placed on the very top of the icon screen, which separates the sanctuary from the nave in Eastern churches. It's a great, magnificent wall, which has three doors on it that are open and closed at different times during the services. But on top of that icon screen, called the iconostasis, there is usually this icon of the deesis, Jesus, his mother, and St. John the Baptist. The Holy Gospel records just a few incidences in the life of the Blessed Virgin Mary. It says nothing about her parentage, her nativity, or her childhood. All such information comes to us from the early tradition of the church, which was recorded in the middle of the second century. Now, this was in what we call the Proto-Angelium of St. James. In other words, the Proto-Gospel of St. James, or sometimes called the Apocryphal, not, not apocalyptic, but apocryphal books. And they are those early Christian writings that tell us about certain events from the lives of Jesus and Mary, which are not included in the Gospels. Although the apocryphal writings are not recognized by the church as authentic, inspired works, still much of what they relate belongs to the tradition of the primitive church. Now, the so-called Proto-Angelium of St. James was held in high esteem by such inspired hymnographers as St. Sophronius of Jerusalem, St. Germanus of Constantinople, and St. Andrew of Crete, St. John Damascene. Now, these are heavy hitters from the Eastern churches. <laughs> these are the saints that wrote a lot of what we call dogmatic hymnography, which is the kind of the characteristic prayer of the Eastern churches, especially in our liturgical tradition. 
Now, when we come back, we're going to talk more about this wonderful and ancient feast of the Nativity of the Mother of God. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Every day, Father Loya posts a brief two-minute Facebook video on the Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish homepage. You'll be amazed at what you can learn just by watching. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. And then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. You are listening to the Choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church under the direction of Timothy Woods in Homer Glen, Illinois. This is the music you hear on Light of the East and is sung during the Sacred Liturgy at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish. Order online at ByzantineCatholic.com. All we ask is a donation of $20 or more, which includes shipping and handling to Annunciation Parish for each Theosis CD. Send a check made out to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. And may God grant you I'm Matt Wilcom, Director for the Iowa Catholic Radio Network, and you are listening to Light of the East. It's no secret that Father Loya and other speakers from the Tabor Life Institute are available to speak at your parish or group on marriage and family topics seen through the lens of St. John Paul II's Theology of the Body. Other topics include Eastern Christian spirituality, and the significance of art in the church. The Tabor Life Institute can arrange for marriage encounters, parish missions, and can help your parish facilitate teen faith formation in either English or Spanish. For Father Loya and other speakers, contact the Tabor Life Institute by writing to taborlife at earthlink.net. That's Tabor spelled T-A-B-O-R, life, at earthlink.net. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Leia, your host. And again, I greet you with Happy New Year. Or maybe it's better to say Blessed New Year because it is the beginning in the Byzantine liturgical calendar of the Blessed Liturgical New Year, the Blessed Year, the cycle of the liturgical life of the church, which basically is divided into two major areas, the movable and immovable feast. In other words, the immovable feasts are like we have today, where they have a specific date. The movable ones are things like Pascha, Easter, which will fluctuate on the calendar. So there's movable and immovable feast days. This is an immovable one today, the feast of the birth of the mother of God. And we mentioned that one of the sources for this, the tradition, is the Proto-Evangelium of St. James. That means the, the Proto-Gospel of St. James. Now these Gospels, and there's several of them, St. James is one of the most famous ones, these Gospels are not 
considered inspired or authentic sources. That's why they never got into the gospel. However, there is a certain significance to them because a lot of the hymnographers, those who wrote the dogmatic hymns that are used in the Byzantine tradition for our prayer, our worship, they revered these apocryphal gospels. They saw them as good sources. They knew they weren't authentic or inspired, but it does not mean they were worthless or what was in them was not true. Remember, they come from tradition, and tradition is a very, very revered part of our faith as Catholics. Sacred tradition, scripture, and of course, natural law. Those are the three main sources of our faith as Catholics. And the tradition is sacred because it was something done that was very, very ancient. In other words, done and passed down consistently through word of mouth, through teaching, and also by the liturgy of the church. So there is a significance to these things, even if they're not actually in part of the four inspired gospels of the Bible. Now, the story from the Proto-Evangelicum of St. James is that the parents of the Blessed Virgin Mary, Joachim and Anna, were righteous and greatly devoted to God. Anna's father was a descendant from the royal house of David, and Mary's mother came from the priestly line of Aaron. Their one great sorrow, though, was that they had no children. In the Old Testament, when God blessed his chosen people, he always promised to bless them with numerous offspring. Thus, among the Jews, childlessness was considered as a sign of God's rejection, a public disgrace. Another reason why it was a disgrace is because, remember, the Jews awaited the Messiah, and you never knew if your child would be the Messiah, that you would give birth to the Messiah. But if you had no children, then there was no possibility of that honor. So that's another reason why it was a very sad situation when you did not have children among the people of the Old Testament times. But God, in his divine providence, was actually preparing Joachim and Anna for great things. God was to show them a unique favor, for the child to be born to them was to become the mother of the Messiah, the promised Savior of the world. The Jews were acquainted with unusual births, in which Almighty God had intervened by his divine power to show his predilection to some particular people. Such, for example, was the birth of Isaac from childless Sarah, read about that in Genesis 21, or of Samson from the barren wife of Manoah, that's in Judges chapter 13, or of Samuel from the childless Hannah, first book of Samuel, and of course, the birth of St. John the Baptist from barren Elizabeth, that's in Luke chapter 1. So God blessed also Joachim and Anna in their old age with a providential daughter destined to become the mother of God. The birth of Mary has taken away not only the public disgrace from her parents, but also became a source of great joy for them. According to the words of the angel to Joachim, Joachim, rejoice! God has heard your prayer, and your wife Anna shall conceive and give birth to a daughter whose nativity will become joy for the entire world. Consequently, the feast is celebrated in the spirit of general rejoicing and exaltation. Now, we mention these miraculous births in the Old Testament and also in the New Many times the parents, and one of the reasons they were, the births were miraculous, because the parents were too old to have children. So what God would do, and he did this with the Virgin Mary, is he would both use nature and then do things out of the course of nature, just like the Virgin Mary. Christ came into the world like every human being, according to nature. He was born of a woman. The woman carried him in her womb, but she remained a virgin before, during, and after the birth of Christ. Abraham and Sarah had a child when they were too old to have one. So 
they had a child, so that's according to nature, but they were too old, so that is out of nature. So it shows that God follows his own natural order of creation, but he also transcends it, especially when he intervenes in that order. And that's very much a sign or characteristic of our faith. Our faith is rooted in reason. It is rooted in what is according to nature. And yet at the same time, it transcends nature. Look at the Eucharist. Eucharist uses things of nature, bread made by the hand of man and wine also made by the hand of man. Those are natural things that when worked with in that way become bread and wine. But at the same time, those things, while still being bread and wine, become the body and blood of Jesus Christ, their real presence. So there you see nature and out of nature or transcendence of nature working at the same time. And that's what's marvelous about these feast days. These feast days keep us in our own earthly time. We call that chronos time, like chronology. But they also take us out of time. We sort of step into timelessness. So when we celebrate a feast day in the church liturgically, such as this one, the birth of the mother of God, what happens is we actually step into that event in a timeless way, like it loses all time. It's an ongoing event, and we just step into it. This is the same with the Eucharist. We don't sacrifice Jesus over and over again. It's that one same sacrifice that has an eternal and timeless dimension. So we enter into that ongoing reality, the timeless reality, through the liturgy of the church. Now, the birth of the Blessed Virgin Mary was not accidental. It was well prepared by God from the very beginning of the sacred history. Already in the Garden of Eden, God promised our first parents, Adam and Eve, to send them a Savior through the providential woman whose, quote, seed will crush the head of the serpent, unquote, Genesis 3, verse 5. In other words, the Savior of the human race was to come as the seed and the offspring of the woman. Then, There was the vision Jacob had of a ladder uniting heaven and earth, by which the angels were descending and ascending to God, and the place was called the house of God and the gate of heaven. That's Genesis chapter 28. The holy writers applied Jacob's vision to the Blessed Virgin Mary, in whom it was fully realized both physically and spiritually. Through Mary, as though by a ladder, the Son of God came down from heaven to earth. Mary, by carrying the Son of God in her womb for nine months, became indeed the house of God. And giving birth to the Son of God, Mary opened for us the gates of heaven. Now, these comparisons, these metaphors, are called allegorical typology. And that's a very big aspect of the way the Eastern churches like to use the Scripture. The Latin Rite Church does as well, but the East seems to really favor that approach. It's called allegorical. In other words, we're always seeing in the Old Testament the hints, the prefigurements of what will be fulfilled in the new. In other words, basically the Old Testament is about Jesus and his mother, as we're seeing here. She was prefigured in these images from the Old Testament. Another prototype of Mary taken from the Old Testament and used in the liturgical compositions of the hymnographers is the burning bush, seen by Moses on the holy mountain, Horeb. That's in Exodus chapter 31. As the bush was burning, but was not destroyed by fire, So also the Blessed Virgin Mary, by giving birth to the Son of God, did not lose her virginity, and after the birth remained a virgin as well. So you see how, once again, we have nature. We have a bush on fire. Those are both things of nature. But the bush was not consumed by the fire. And so it is with the metaphor for the Virgin Mary. By giving birth to the Son of God, 
She did not lose her virginity. In other words, she was not consumed. She remained intact like the bush. So that is a metaphor and an allegorical typology. The Blessed Virgin Mary was unmistakably foretold by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and he shall be called Emmanuel, meaning God with us. That's Isaiah chapter 7. The coming of the Blessed Virgin Mary, as we sing at the Litia, that's part of the Vesper service, was announced beforehand. In Mary, according to the testimony of St. Andrew of Crete, all the prototypes and prophecies of the Old Testament were fulfilled. I highly encourage you to enter into, in whatever way you can, especially by going to church, into the holy days of the liturgical cycle of the church, whether you're a Latin rite or an Eastern rite. And in Eastern rites, we don't transfer these feast days to Sunday. We keep them on the days that they are assigned. And this is a good thing because these days are interruptions into normal life. They're marvelous interruptions. And so having them on their proper dates interrupts our day. So we have to go and lay everything aside, go to church and touch heaven through these marvelous feast days of the church. Thank you for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. To hear Light of the East again, visit byzantinecatholic.com and click on the Features and Programs tab and on iTunes. Thank you for listening to Light of the East. We encourage you to tell a friend about Light of the East and to visit byzantinecatholic.com. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. WTN Radio for the reason that Mother Angelica founded this entire enterprise. She always saw this as a spiritual growth network. It was to be an enterprise in media that reached people in all aspects of their life. She saw this as a, a holistic approach to reaching the whole person in the middle of the world and bringing them truth and life. Raymond Arroyo thinks Catholic Radio is important. So should you. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Wilcook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Or donate online on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh!